At a chapel service at Dallas Theological Seminary, Dr. Tony Evans told about the time that his little granddaughter, who called her Poppy, was playing out in the backyard, and, and suddenly they heard a noise out in the backyard, and he ran out into the yard to see what was going on, and a dog was chasing her around the yard and was growling and snarling and nipping and biting at her, and she tried, was trying to get away, and you know how that dog goes, and finally... Poppy ran and jumped up into her pop, or the girl finally ran up and jumped up into her Poppy's arms. And she held tightly onto Poppy as he was trying to hold on to her because she was still trying to get away and the dog was saying, and Poppy held her tightly. Finally, she gained her composure somewhat and she looked up at Poppy and she looked out at the dog. Then she looked up at Poppy, and she looked down at the dog. Rah, 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 rah. Then she looked up at Poppy, and she looked down at the dog, and she said, na, 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 na. <laughs> what had changed? Her circumstance hadn't changed. The dog was still threatening to get her. What had changed was that now she was in the presence of her Poppy, and that's what made all the difference. She was safe in the arms of the person whom she fully trusted and of the one with whom she had an intimate, loving relationship. Whenever we are being threatened, whether it's by the pandemic and all the damage and all the things that go along with that, whether it's loneliness or sickness or the loss of a job, the loss of income, the loss of health, the loss of a relationship even, the death of a loved one, or whatever we face in life, God invites us to run into his loving, caring arms, where he is our refuge and our strength. That safe place in his presence, where we trust him because of our intimate relationship with him. And what is really cool, what is really neat, is that this kind of intimacy with God is available to anyone, to everyone, who puts their trust in him. This kind of intimacy is accessible to you just as much as any and all of the great promises that God has made to us. And what we will see from God's word this morning is that God's intimate or invitation to you, his invitation to you to enjoy intimate fellowship with him is that thing that is putting your faith to the test more than anything else right now. In other words, whatever is most testing your faith, putting your faith to the test right now, whatever you're having to trust or, or you can't trust, whatever you're going through that is most testing your faith, that is God's invitation to you, his invitation to enjoy intimate fellowship with him. He's inviting you to enjoy that kind of a relationship with him that is loving and intimate and caring. Now, intimacy is what we call that experience of really knowing and being known by another person. Really knowing another person and being known by them. And we frequently use spatial language when describing this kind of experience of intimacy. We say that a person is a close friend or that someone seems distant from us. An intimate friend is somebody we feel very close to. They know us at a very deep level. 
Now, if something happens that damages the intimacy with our friend, then they feel distant from us. Or a person who doesn't know us intimately only knows us as what we say a superficial level. They don't know how we think. They don't know what our likes are. They don't know what our dislikes are. They don't know what our, our needs are. Now, when the Bible talks about a husband knowing his wife, that doesn't mean that he can pick her out of a crowd. And I got a big crowd here this morning. I can pick my wife out of the crowd. I know who she is. I know what she looks like. It doesn't mean that the way you know somebody. It means that I know her intimately. Do you really know your wife? Do you know her at a deep level? Do you know what upsets her? Do you know what brings her joy? Do you know what pushes her buttons? And don't do that. <laughs> do you know what her special gifts and talents are? Do you know what experiences she has had that make her the woman that she is today? Do you know her deepest needs? You see, intimacy is not spatial, but it's relational. We all know what it's like to sit next to a person with whom we feel distant. And we can feel close to a person who is thousands and thousands of miles away. So what is it that makes us feel intimate with another person? There are many ingredients to intimacy, and I think each intimate relationship has a different recipe. But the one thing that is common to all intimate relationships is trust. It's trust. We cannot be intimate with a person we don't trust. Trust is at the heart of intimacy. If the granddaughter didn't trust Poppy or didn't know who that guy was, she never would have jumped into his arms. And even she had jumped into a person's arms without trust just because she had no other choice to get away from the dog. There was no one else to save her. There probably wouldn't have been any na-na-na-na-na's. And without trust, there would have been a quick exit out of the man's arms and out of the yard as soon as the dog was no longer a threat. You know, one of the most horrifying things I ever witnessed was at a seminary I attended. I was in an event in the fellowship hall in the administration building, and at the end of the fellowship hall, there was a stage that was uh, about four foot higher than the floor. It was a pretty high, high stage, and a little boy had crawled up on the stage. I don't know how he did it. I don't know if he went around and used the steps or whatever, but he was standing right on the edge of that stage, four foot drop, and and he was saying, catch me, daddy, catch me, daddy. And I don't remember what the father said to him, but the little boy jumped, and the father didn't even try to catch him. The boy landed hard on the floor, but that's not the horrifying part. The father just looked at his little boy and said, well, you got to learn what the world is like someday. What that little boy learned was that he couldn't trust his father. And by default, he's going to have a hard time trusting his heavenly father as well. Spatially, he and his father were right next to each other. Relationally, they were father and son, but there was no intimacy because there was no trust. You see, the more we trust someone, the closer we let them get to us and the closer we get to them when there's a mutual trust level. And the degree to which trust is compromised in a relationship is the degree to which intimacy evaporates. We probably all know what it's like to share a confidence with somebody. We thought we could trust them, and maybe we even said, please don't tell anybody about this, only to find out that they told somebody else and betrayed that confidence. And at that point, intimacy evaporates. 
Maybe you'll never get close to that person again, at least until trust is restored, and that, that takes a long time. And the deeper the betrayal, the more the trust is destroyed, the more that intimacy dissolves. Trust is at the heart of intimacy. So please turn to the letter of James once again, to James chapter 4, verse 8. And I want to use these three verses, verses 8, 9, and 10 of the fourth chapter of James, to draw out three truths concerning intimacy with God. I want us to see the heart of intimacy with God. What is at the heart of that kind of relationship? Then I want us to see the hindrances to intimacy with God. What gets in the way? What gets in the way of intimacy? And thirdly, I want us to learn how to draw near to God. How to have intimacy with God. In the first part of the 8th chapter of James, or verse 8 of James chapter 4, we see the heart of intimacy with God. James writes, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Our experience of God's nearness or distance is not a description of the proximity to him, the physical proximity, whether he's three feet from us or six feet distancing himself or 3,000 miles. But our experience of God's nearness or distance is a description of our intimacy with him. And the Bible shows us that God is intimate with those who trust him. The more we trust God, the more intimately we come to know him. A felt distance from God, when we feel like God is far away or not listening to our prayers or whatever it is that we feel a distance of God, is often due to a disruption in trust, such as sin or disappointment or something that causes that distance. I want to talk more about the disruptions and the hindrances to intimacy with God, but it's vitally important to understand at this point that the more we trust God, the more intimately we come to know him. So we need to understand that God is worthy of our trust. He can be trusted. And this goes back to the very beginning, to the genesis of creation. Why did God create mankind or humankind to begin with? Did you ever wonder about that? Why would God create these creatures who would turn on him, who would reject him, who would try to live their lives completely without him? And we would go, why bother God? Why why would you do that? You see, God created us for one reason. One reason. It has several parts, but it's one reason. God created us to know him and love him and have fellowship with him. God created us to know him and love him and have fellowship with him. And in all of that, he is glorified. He is glorified. Put another way, we are created in the image and likeness of God. We are created in his image and likeness so that we might have intimacy with him forever. And that brings him glory. You see, creatures which are not created in God's image cannot have that kind of intimacy with God. Think of this way. You know, I do this every once in a while. Have you ever looked into the eyes of your dog and wondered what she's thinking? (laughs) Or you see her laying down on the floor in the living room and her little paws are going like this and and, uh, she's acting like she's barking because she's having a dream. And I wonder what she's chasing. 
you know, in her dream. You know, she, she can never tell me. You know, as cuddly as she might be, at least with my wife, she doesn't get cuddly with me. She likes to play with me, you know, but once in a while I can kind of get her so she rolls over on her back and I rub her tummy and she, she loves that. But I, I can never share my heart's desires with her. You can never pour out your heart or get a listening ear or an understanding ear with, with a pet. You can never have a meaningful conversation or discuss the co- coronavirus pandemic. You know, a puppy, what do you think about flattening the curve? She's not a puppy, but I call her that. It's a term of endearment. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we just can't share that kind of thing. And when Jan and I are, say, we're standing in the kitchen and we're giving each other a hug, the dog likes to be part of that. She comes up and, you know, gets on her back fours, back two legs, and, and tries to be part of that. But it's, it's just not the same. She brings us a certain level of comfort. And our dog is much more comforting than the, the lady who got on a plane one time and she had a peacock and she claimed that that peacock was her comfort animal. And it only took about two weeks before all the airlines changed all the rules related to service dogs and, and comfort dogs. But we, we get comfort from our dogs and, and that's a gift from God in creation. But you see, as human beings, we are created in God's image so that we can have an intimate loving relationship with him that is deep and meaningful and so that we can fellowship with him and fellowship with everyone else who's created in his image we can know him we can love him we can fellowship with him and we can love and know one another and we can fellowship with one another because we are created in God's image we can have intimate relationships with God and with one another God is worthy of our trust because this is what God wants for us. This is what he created us for. We are created by God so that we can enjoy intimate fellowship with the one who made us. We can have intimate fellowship with the one who loves us, the one who cares for us, and the one who always has his best in mind for us. And we can enjoy intimate fellowship with everyone else who enjoys intimate fellowship with God. Do you ever think about that? This is one of the things that makes the church so extraordinary. It's the intimate fellowship that we have with one another because of our intimate fellowship with God in Christ. You know, and that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult when we have to distance from one another spatially. We have to find ways to maintain our love relationships and our intimacy in spite of physical distance. But you see, as beings created in the image of God, God has built that yearning and that need and that possibility into us. We are built for relationships. We are built for relationships with God and with with one another. Turn over to the 73rd Psalm for a moment. Psalm 73, verse 28. The 73rd Psalm, the, the 20, 28th verse. You see, as Christians, this is built into us. We want to experience intimacy with God. We yearn for it. That's the way God has, has made us. And with the writer of Psalm 73, we affirm in verse 28, But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. The nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works, the the psalmist says to the Lord. Isn't that great? 
The nearness of God is my good. It's good for me to be near to God. It is for my God or for my good. And it feels good. And all that goes along with being in a good, good place. And and he says, I'm going to tell others about everything he has done. Everything. That I will tell all of the Lord's works. Tell all that the Lord has done. And once again, we've hit on what's become the main theme for these messages during the pandemic. Remember that the coronavirus pandemic hasn't changed our purpose as believers or as a church one bit. Our purpose is to know God, to know Him, to be in an intimate, loving relationship with Him, and to show Christ. To know God and to show Christ. And that's what the psalmist says here. That I may tell of all the Lord's works. That I might tell all that the Lord is doing and what He has done and what He will do. But the problem is, there are hindrances to intimacy with God. Back to James chapter 4, the 8th verse. James writes these words in his characteristic, straightforward, no-holds-barred manner. Verse 8 of James chapter 4 again. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, if there were people here, very many people in the congregation this morning, I'd say, why didn't somebody say, ouch, (laughs) ouch? If you were expecting James to appeal to some touchy-feely, warm, fuzzy, feel-good side of us, you might just felt like you got hit by a train. But pure and simple, here is the hindrance to intimacy with God. Sin, our sin, breaks fellowship with God. We cannot be intimate with God because we are sinners. God created man to be in perfect fellowship with him, to be in perfect fellowship with a perfect God, but man's sin, my sin, your sin, is destroying that fellowship. Sin is in the business of destroying relationships and intimacy. That's what sin does. A husband cheats on his wife, and the relationship is totally destroyed, totally they think they can pull it back together by trying hard and make it, trying harder, making certain promises. But there is nothing to build on until what? Trust has been reestablished. That the trust level must be rebuilt because there can be no intimacy again until all that trust level is rebuilt. Or suppose we're in business together. You and I go into business and I rip you off. Now you say, well, pastor, you wouldn't do that. No, but I'm using this for an example. I just really take advantage of you. I cheat you out of a bunch of money or out of your property. And what happens? You never want to have anything to do with me ever again. And you'll probably never trust me again, especially not going into business together. And that's a pretty good example of how our sin affects our relationship with God. Sin always creates a barrier. And when there is a barrier between you and a holy God, one who is without sin and who is beautiful in all his perfections and cannot be in the presence of sin, that is a massive barrier. You see, every sin, every lie, every hurtful word we ever speak about someone, every act of cheating, every act of stealing, whatever the sin 
it's ultimately against God because it dishonors God who created us in his own image and wants to have an intimate, eternal relationship with us. Turn over to Psalm 51 for a moment. The 51st Psalm at verse 2. In Psalm 51, we have King David's prayer of contrition and repentance after he committed adultery and even murder. And he cries out to God in verse 2 of this 51st Psalm. He says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, wait a minute. Against you only, God, have I sinned? David sinned against Bathsheba, with whom he committed adultery. You might remember when it was discovered that Bathsheba was, was pregnant, David tried to have his sin, hide, to hide his sin by having her husband Uriah killed on the battlefield. So now we got adultery and hiding and cover-up, and now we've got murder as part of the cover-up. And as king, David sinned against the whole nation of Israel because his sin as king is a national sin. David sinned just about against everybody, except his enemies. So how can David say, against you, God, and you only have I sinned? Yes, he sinned against many people, and sin always hurts the person that you sin against. But ultimately, all sin is against God, because it dishonors him. It's a violation of his holy character. It violates his commands, and it creates a barrier between God and me, and it betrays the very purpose for which he created me. I think a good way to put it is sin is ripping off God. It rips him off, and it rips him off in three ways. First of all, in the language of the Bible, sin is idolatry. It rips God off by denying him the unique place that, we sh that he should have in our lives. We idolize someone or something else instead of worshiping God. We replace him with a created person, an idol, an object, or a desire, or money, or whatever it is. We replace him with an idol. Sin is idolatry. It rips God off. Secondly, sin rips God off by denying him the absolute loyalty and obedience and glory that he alone deserves. It robs him of his glory. It rips him off. Then in relational terms that we've been talking about this morning, sin is a kind of betrayal. It rips God off by not responding to him. It refuses to let him have the kind of mutual and unrivaled love relationship that he offers to us as our creator and our savior. And when we rip God off, we have a real problem. Because Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, all of us have sinned and robbed God of his glory. All of us have sinned. And then Romans 6, 23 adds, For the wages of sin is death. 
Sin's wages will be paid, and they're paid by death. All who have sinned will die. We know this is true because one out of one of us don't make it out of here, do we? Sin brings death. It brings physical death. It brings death of relationships. In the Bible, death means separation. Separation. In physical death, the body is separated from the soul of a person. The corpse is an empty shell. There's been a separation of the the essence of the person from the body. But the Bible also talks about spiritual death. There's a separation of the person's spirit from God. Spiritually, the sinner is dead, separated from God, dead in their trespasses and sins, separated with God, and the Bible says, without hope and without God in the world. So we're back to that barrier again. On account of sin, a sinner is totally, utterly, completely separated from God. That's the bad news. The sinner can have no relationship with God, let alone any kind of intimacy. And the sinner is separated from God for all eternity. That's called eternal death. That's the bad news. Separated from God and everything that God has created and everything that's of God for all eternity. The Bible calls it utter darkness, total aloneness for all eternity. But Romans 6.23 goes on to give us the good news. Boy, we've got to turn it at this point, don't we? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what it's all about, isn't it? The wages of sin is death, and somebody has to pay that price. Sin demands its payment. Its payment is death. And the good news is that Jesus Christ paid the penalty the wages for our sin by his death on the cross. On the cross. He paid it with his own blood. On the cross, he took all the sins of the world upon himself. Every lie you ever told, every sin you ever committed, every bad thing that you ever have done or will do, Jesus took it all upon himself and Jesus died in your place. And here is the key. When you trust in Jesus Christ, and there's that word trust again, when you trust in him, when you trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, and you believe that he died on the cross for you, and you come to him in faith and receive him, all the barriers between you and God are broken down. They are demolished. You are saved. You are forgiven. You become a child of God, and you are welcomed into the loving arms of the Father. Turn over to the book of Hebrews for a moment. Hebrews chapter 4, verse verse 16. The 16th verse of the fourth chapter of Hebrews. And here we have that drawing near to God once again. Verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Find grace in time of need. This this really is a time of need, isn't it? We really need God's mercy and His grace right now. So how do we draw near to God? 
How do we intimately know him and love him and have intimate fellowship with him so that he might receive the glory? How do you draw near to God so he will draw near to you? We go back to James chapter 4, the 10th verse, our third point. James says in verse 10 of the fourth chapter, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourself, which means to come and prostrate yourself before him in heart and attitude and life, and then he will lift you up. To humble ourselves means that we, we don't come before God, before the throne of grace, with anything we can do to gain God's favor. We come as unworthy sinners who deserve death but who have been saved by grace, but no righteousness or goodness of our own. It means that we draw near to God through faith in Jesus Christ, who alone gives us access to our Heavenly Father. It means that we put all of our trust in God's great promise to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants intimacy with you. And that's why he made you to begin with. And that's why Jesus Christ has done all the hard work, which is not near enough of a hard work, it's not near enough a term to describe of, of the suffering he went through on the cross to make it possible for us. And all God requires is that you believe in him. And he wants you to trust him with all your heart, which means that his invitation to you to enjoy intimacy with him are the events and circumstances in your life that are testing your faith the most right now, more than anything else. What you must trust God for the most right now is where he means for you to draw closer to him. Is it the pandemic and all of that? Do you have a financial crisis that is testing your faith? I don't know what it is for you, but you know what it is for you. And Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Do you lean on your own understanding? God's invitation to intimacy might be something that you may want to turn down. Because that's what human nature does. Because you would rather figure it out yourself. You would rather depend on your own understanding of the situation. And if you do that, you are declining God's invitation to enjoy intimacy with him. Humble yourself in the sight and in the presence of God. You know, it takes humility to go before God and say, God, I can't do this. I can't handle it. I can't save myself or pull myself out of this. In fact, my efforts are probably making everything worse. I need you, God. I trust you, God. I completely turn it over to you. Intimacy with God often occurs in the places where we must trust him the most. Several years ago when I was pastor in Coeur d'Alene, I, I borrowed a book from one of the young men in our church. It was called The Valley of Vision. And it's devotional prayers, prayers and devotions of, of, the, of the Puritans. And I borrowed that book and had it for a while and enjoyed it and, and read it. And then over the year, I gave it back to him. And over the years, 
Uh, every time I went to see if I could get a copy of the book, it was out of print. Even though it's gone through several printings, it seemed to always sell out immediately. And, uh, and so I finally got a copy of it for my birthday. And uh, in this book, there's a Puritan prayer called Man and Nothing. Now, it's, it's archaic language if you're not used to that, with these and thous and, and words we're not used to. But the Puritans really knew how to pray. And they really knew how to pour out their heart to God in a way that is precise and concise and meaningful. And I want you to read this because man and nothing, it shows that this is a man who is humble before God because he realizes without God, he is nothing. And he prays this. O Lord, I am a shell full of dust, but animated with an invisible, rational soul and made anew by an unseen power of grace. Yet I am no rare object of valuable price, but one that has nothing and is nothing, although chosen of thee from eternity, given to Christ and born again. I am deeply convinced of the evil and misery of a sinful state, of the vanity of creatures, but also the sufficiency of Christ. Thou wouldst guide me, when thou wouldst guide me, I control myself. When thou wouldst be sovereign, I rule myself. When thou wouldst take care of me, I suffice myself. When I should depend on thy providings, I supply myself. When I should submit to thy providence, I follow my will. When I should study, love, honor, trust thee, I serve myself. I fault and correct thy laws to suit myself. Instead of thee, I look to a man's approbation and am by nature an idolater. Lord, it is my chief design to bring my heart back to thee. Convince me that I cannot be my own God or make myself happy, nor my own Christ to restore my joy, nor my own spirit to teach, guide, rule me. Help me see that grace does this by providential affliction. For when my credit is good, thou dost cast me lower. When riches are my idol, thou dost wing them away. When pleasure is my all, thou dost turn it into bitterness. Take away my roving eye, curious ear, greedy appetite, lustful heart. Show me that none of these things can heal a wounded conscience or support a tottering frame or uphold a departing spirit. Take me to the cross and leave me there. Take me to the cross and leave me there. Let's, let's pray for that right now. Father, we, become, we come to the cross this morning. We come to the foot of the cross. And Father, we come as those who are broken in heart, broken in spirit. Some of us are broken in body. Father, we are facing things that we cannot control, that we cannot do anything about. And Father, we come knowing that it's not things that we can do, but it is what you can do, Lord. Father, I pray that if there's anybody who has been distanced from you from a time, for a time, Lord, that they will draw near to you right now, Father. And when they confess their sins, you are righteous, to forgive them of their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness, Father. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. 
We thank you for your faithfulness that anyone who comes as a sinner and in trust of you, Father. And if there is someone out there, Lord, that just doesn't know what to say right now, but they want to come to you in salvation in Jesus Christ, Father, help them to, to pray these words. Father, I am a sinner. I know that I have sinned, Father. But by faith in Jesus Christ, who died for all of my sins on the cross and rose again, Father, I know that in Christ you have forgiven me of all of my sins and you have made me a child of the living God. Father, for all these things, we thank you. And we give you praise and glory in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, whose name we pray. Amen.